I'm going to say it. It's his grandmother. <laughs> she's dying. I was going to say And she's dying and he doesn't know it. And it's this healing between them when he didn't trust her and she didn't trust him. And he will follow through to the end. And then she, when she's dying, she'll say how much that means to him. And he'll say, you're my second mother. And it's just like... Uh, Fuck it. I'm why why ah. are you making me cry? This is awful. Where's Beep? You gotta calm us down. Oh yeah, like she's I, the person that's gonna calm down Felix. <laughs> Welcome back to Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys Rewatch podcast. People often ask what a rewatch podcast is, so I'm going to tell you. It means that we've seen every single episode, beginning to end, back to the beginning, which is actually the name of the series finale. It's confusing. It is what it is. You watch everything. It makes total sense. So that means if you have not watched everything to understand why that makes total sense, you need to do that first before you continue listening because we spoil early, often, and all the time. I am Beep. I am joined as always by the lovely Cece. Hey guys. And Dark Amy is back. <laughs> hey. God, it's been a while. Yeah. You guys never you guys you guys just don't want to have me on. I feel I'm getting a complex. What we you've been on this is your third time on, right? You were on for 303. I know, but was yeah. it 303? Yeah, with Joe. Yeah, it was enemy. You've also been you okay. were busy being the main character for an amazing sci-fi original. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not sci-fi this station. That's right. Actual science fiction. <laughs> Called yeah. Activity. Maybe I wrote it, maybe I didn't. <laughs> Thank you for making me feel needed. Yeah, and you're coming back for the finale, so you're doing two episodes this season. What are you even talking about? <laughs> I know, but you know what? I'm kind of sad that I don't get to do Diglaka because you're having you're having the actual creators do it, and I get that. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like they kind of know what they're talking about, but right, right. You know, but it's whatever. It's just you know, it's fine. I'll be fine. I'm fine about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only people we would bump Dark Amy for is Terry Metalis and Sean Trenna. <laughs> I know. Just let them know that's my favorite, favorite yeah, episode. You, gave that, you you submitted something for favorite episode. You're owed to the like the like delightful craziness of that moment with the with the but- button and Hitler, right? So yeah. Yes, which generally I hate that kind of shit in time travel shows. Um, but I don't know why. Well, I know why it stuck with me, but you know, I would have talked about it had I got to do that podcast. I'm sorry, you'll just have to do the best one of the best series finales of all time instead. Sorry. Maybe we'll do uh, fan voicemails at the end, like we did that one time. Yeah, that's true. We could just put it after the interview. Oh, and I'll yes. sing again. There's been a no. lot of new listeners on Twitter, so I think we should do it again. Favorite moments. Let's do again. it. All right. So what? Amy, welcome to season four. We are, this is our last podcast of the decade. Um, and there's that makes us sound so seasoned. I know. Like right? the decade, you guys. The decade. <laughs> hey, I mean, we've been doing this a year. Um, <laughs> so 
Uh, wow. Yeah. There's been a lot of um, end of the year, end of the decade list talking about sort of the best in television. And that's something obviously television's near and dear to all three of our hearts. Uh, spoiler TV had 12 monkeys in the top 10, which made me like fist pump alone in my house because it's always frustrating, particularly if you're a genre fan, when these end of the decade or best of the year lists come out because I feel like genre shows, unless they're on HBO, often don't make them. Um, mm-hmm. So I was I was curious before we jump into the episode today, um, just hearing y'all's thoughts on your favorite TV show of the decade. The Leftovers. Like, it, it's not just my favorite show of the decade. It might be one of my favorite. It might, like, second only to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But The Leftovers on HBO is one of the best things I've ever seen. TV, film, whatever. It's just amazing. And I don't even know how to describe it without turning into a really, like, pretentious asshole. <laughs> because... <laughs> That's the challenge with The Leftovers. Yep. Well, it's it's for me, it wasn't just like, oh, this is a thing that I'm watching that's enjoyable. It was like a profound life experience that I was having while watching it, um, which you both know, Tina, you especially know how I feel about it. Like, it's one of those things where you watch an episode and you sit there at the end of it and you're like, I would sit in silence on my living room floor mm-hmm. when I would watch an episode just staring um, and I know that sounds like terrible, like, oh, that doesn't sound like an enjoyable watch at all. But it just, it's about grief and loss and love and li- like all these, again, see, pretentious ass holdery. Uh, it was a life changing experience watching that show. And I highly recommend it to everybody, even though the first season can be kind of a slog tenant to get through because it's, it's very kind of uh, hard. It's hard. It's because it's it's the really hard sides of loss and grief that they kind of deal with. And so it can be a little bit, I don't know if dark is the right word necessarily. Raw? But it can, raw. It can it's very raw emotionally, even yeah. throughout. Um, so yeah, that first season is kind of like, it's, it's a little bit harder, though I still think it's amazing to get through. And then you get to seasons two and three. And it's like, it's, there's comedy in it. Like it, the, the, there's absurd humor and there's still this, the same emotional impact. It's just a really profound, moving show with beautiful performances and, and all of that. But I don't, yeah, I don't even know how to properly describe it. Tina could probably do a better job than me right now, but that's my show of the decade. Yeah. So I, and that, that show is second only to shocker for our listeners. Um, mine is, <laughs> <laughs> mine is 12 Monkeys. Um, and I think, like you, when you, I, I think it's, you know, it's my favorite of all time, not just the decade, but what I, you know, we've gone around and around and we had a really great discussion last week with Aaron about why season four of this show is so satisfying. And we were, we were sort of talking about, um, and I think this is relevant because I think we got to the end of this decade and we had had two solid decades of, you know, TV arguably maybe got better than film and genre TV really flourished. And we had a lot of shows and some of these we talked about last time, like we had Alias, X-Files, Lost, Battlestar, The 100, Game of Thrones, The Magicians, all of these shows, right? And they all 
promised a like huge, you know, they all set up a big sweeping mythology. They all had characters that we were really emotionally invested in at, at, at various points, sometimes not all the way through to the end. Um, but they made a promise, kind of like when you pick up a book, you know, that a novel is well thought out and that it has an ending. Um, and I feel like this decade is, I don't want to speak for everyone, but at least for me, is when I started to get impatient with shows not having not having that stick the landing, right? As we talk about it a lot, particularly in the last year with shows like Game of Thrones, etc. So my two favorite shows end up being the two genre shows that stuck the landing, but in completely opposite ways, right? Like, so right. The Leftovers and 12 Monkeys are both shows that never forgot why you cared, right? Like, yes, we have all these mythology questions. We're wondering how it's all going to shake out and the plot. But the reason why we care is because of the characters, right? For 12 Monkeys, the reason why you care is because of Jones and Jennifer and Cassie and Cole and Deacon. For The Leftovers, Nora and Kevin, right? Like, all, all of, like, that's why you care and that's why you're sticking around through the end. It's not just having a question answered. But I think 12 Monkeys and The Leftovers – took that sort of inherited that burden of stick the landing and they did it in two different ways. 12 monkeys meticulously answered even the tiniest questions in the most mind blowing, well thought out, well written. Like if you were going to think about how they constructed the story, it's like a masterpiece of raising questions and circling back to the questions and answering them and all of that. The leftovers just basically was like, yeah, we're not going to answer your questions ever. You're never going to know why the people disappeared. Just like in real life, you're never going to know what happens to people after they die. Now what? And so I think it's really interesting. Like I think about these two favorite shows and I'm like, it's because they satisfied me with all of these other genre shows that at the end of the day kind of didn't stick the landing, but they did it in completely polar opposite ways. Does that make sense? Yeah, and the funny thing about both of the finales on both of those shows is they also leave kind of an open-ended question, an interpretation, if you will, of how you perceived the ending to be. Yes, um, yeah. You know, for for 12 Monkeys, obviously, is, is you know, did, did Cassie do it or not do it? Red Forest or no? Um, and for The Leftovers, it's it's the question of, is Nora, you know, do you believe Nora's story or do you, do you not? Mm-hmm. Um, and both of those, like, it's, it, it, the beauty of it is that the, the answer to both of those questions is it really doesn't matter to the overall story. Right. Their journey was still their journey, just, you know, regardless of what that is. But the beauty of it is they still left it a little bit of a mystery at the end. Like, they did answer a lot of questions, but they still also kept the mystery kind of going and did it in a way that it still felt completely satisfying in both cases. But like you said, in totally in totally different creative ways. Yeah. I mean, and they both obviously deal with love and grief and mortality and they are both so so when they let you choose your own ending, you end up sort of reflecting for yourself. You learn a little bit about yourself when, you know, what do I how do I think the story ended? Why do I think that? What did I need from that story? They just there's some like remarkable parallels, even though they took that mythology question and giving you an answer to sort of what you've been wondering about the whole time and just the two complete opposite ways. Um, Beep, how about you? 
I didn't realize this question was coming up. And I mean, I did from five minutes ago, but I didn't. <laughs> I, didn't I already answered it for you, though. This, I know. I know. And so Amy was like, just say Bob's Burgers and get it over with. And <laughs> damn it. I mean, I really just, yeah, it's it's been, yeah, like the whole decade. And I, that's. It to me is like my most rewatchable, no matter what mood I'm in. You know, I, if I have to have a favorite, like when they do those things, you know, like if you could only ever watch one TV show again, I have to unfortunately consider like my, uh, times not only of happiness, but of depression. And that is one that I can go to either way. But like for genre, it's 12 monkeys. I have a, what was, Oh, honorable mention to Fringe, which probably doesn't uh, account for anybody as far as this de- decade goes, because it overlapped like half and half in the last one. Mm-hmm. And Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's probably like 50 more, but this wasn't really. Oh, question, yeah. So. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I will I will also shout out Halt and Catch Fire, Black Sails, Atlanta, mm-hmm. Hannibal, Rectify the Americans. Those are some in my top. 10. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So today we are talking about episode 402, Ouroboros. It's written and directed by Terry Metalis. I don't know how, how this guy had the time to direct two episodes, <laughs> given like all of the schedule, um, like pressures that they were talking about, um, but written and directed um, by the co-creator. Um, I thought for uh, just to kick off, we could talk about sort of some Big picture themes. Um, as I sat back and I rewatched this episode um, twice over the last week, and it really feels like a love letter to the show so far. Um, this episode, not only in in that it's obviously like kind of lovingly taking us back with this kind of like awe, you know, even the characters are awestruck as they're sort of watching themselves, how they started this journey, but it kind of puts you in that position as the audience. Like, wow, this is like we, you've spent, you know, at least four years, you know, thinking about these characters and taking you back to the first, you know, everything like about the music and the way the characters go back and sort of reconsidering their, not only sort of the story we've been on so far, but the journeys these characters have been on um, emotionally, morally, when they've been there for one another, when they've let each other down. Um, it's it's a really, for me, it's a really emotional episode to watch. And there's certain scenes that give me chills, like that, that the first splinter scene between the acting and the music and the lighting. It, it just, it feels like they're really taking a moment to... You, we always talk about how the finale was like a love letter to the show and to the fans. But in some ways, I think this episode is too. And I think it's kind of remarkable that they pause and let the story breathe in that way when they only have 11 episodes for the final season of a show. Does that make sense? It kind of felt like to me that um, I like a love letter almost to season one more than anything like as I was watching it that's kind of what I felt because you know you're going back and and, and there was something about some of the journeys particularly uh Cassie's um in this one and going back knowing where she started and stuff like that and Jones those Mm -hmm. two um characters in particular in this episode to me really kind of stood out going back to where they started and where they are now and so there's so much I mean talk about Ouroboros like it right. felt like an Ouroboros connecting back to to a lot of 
who they were as as people as characters in season one so it almost did kind of feel whereas the finale kind of feels like a love letter to the entire show Mm -hmm. um this episode to me kind of felt like this hearkening back to their journey and to who they started out being and how and how much they changed it really illuminated like how much this journey has changed them for for both good and bad ways yeah. I mean, we we talked um, – and we won't dig in a lot into Ouroboros other than I think we failed to mention that it actually is a Greek word that means literally tail devour. Um, if you're mm-hmm. interested in – if folks listening, if you haven't listened to our 401 pod – but throughout that, we talked a lot about sort of what Ouroboros means um, or has meant to different cultures regarding sort of nature of time, birth, rebirth, you know, all of that stuff is in our 401 pod. But this, <laughs> I was like, could we play a game of how many Ouroboroses can you name in this episode? <laughs> right? There's so many. When you think of the character, each character themselves is like, and <laughs> Yeah. There were so yeah. many. Right? Like you've got Jones talking to you've got Jones talking to Jones and giving herself the idea for the tether. You find out that the problem with the energy source was because of something that happened, you know, in this yeah. episode. Right? Like it's just like we you could play like Ouroboros. Like maybe we should just shout like bingo as we go through this episode <laughs> and spot all of the different Ouroboroses because it's like to the to the smallest scale to like sort of the structure of the episode it's itself, like as it starts out with like actual footage from the pilot um some that we had seen before and some that they actually ended up not using in the final cut of the pilot that they used here um but i think it's also clever in that it is suggesting i think two larger loops and the first is sort of the strategic loop that this one kill one person, whether no matter who it's been from Leland Frost to Ethan to Olivia is not the answer. Right. And Jones is sort of missing. She's right in some ways that, that they keep coming up with the same strategy and it keeps failing. We know obviously what the actual problem is. Um, But there's a lot of discussion in this episode about sort of the moral dilemma loop that they're in if that makes sense, right? That they constantly are choosing, thinking that the, the, the way to solve the problem is to kill someone. Or as Joan says, like how, how high a wall of bodies do we need to build up to, to kind of realize where the curve of history is heading? Right. Right. And, and failure to trust in one another, which is how Joan sort of characterizes what happened at the end of last season instead of choosing to have faith in one another, which is something that... Jones and Cole and Jennifer at the end all choose affirmatively, you know, from choose trusting Cole sticking by Jones instead of going with Cassie or Jennifer taking a literal leap of faith (laughs) off a train platform. Um, You know, it's also kind of talking about this moral loop. Um, Did you guys get that sense? Absolutely. I have notes on that later. So, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. I, I thought it was interesting. I feel like this whole episode is like a previously on, but it's it's done with almost like a director's commentary, but it's like a meta commentary from the characters themselves, like reflecting on what their own journeys have been. Like, it's not just us who would look back and be like, wow, look when Jones came from here to here. Like Jones is faced with that and Cole is faced with that. And they don't I don't think they do that on a lot of shows. Yeah. I mean, it's also I mean, you know, it, it's written by the by the co-creator and showrunner. It's directed by them. You've got the characters, right? I mean, it's really sort of stopping 
you know, it feels sort of like one of the main authors speaking through the characters, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. The one thing that was super hard was no Deacon. I mean, I get it. I understand why he's not there, but that was hard. I know. Particularly having Amy on this week. I, I know. I feel you on that. On and there's no Deacon. Yeah. Um, you can yell about his glorious return, though, right? You, you'll have <laughs> the best Deacon moment of them all. I will. I'm very excited about it. The other thing I thought about, there's a lot of things that are really, uh, obviously, we're a podcast about a time travel show. We wouldn't do that if we didn't love time travel stories. Um, And there's a lot of time travel stories that I've loved over the years. But as I was... As I was watching this episode again um, and thinking about sort of other time travel stories that we've had in pop culture this year, like, for example, Avengers Endgame, you can you can break your brain and and like really dig down into sort of the how does this work and logically how would this happen and all and all of that and all of it to a certain extent like you know time travel is not real so who the hell knows how it works right but the reason why i love time travel stories is captured in this episode in in two ways and the first is characters getting to observe or actually talk to earlier or later versions of themselves or characters getting to talk to people who are gone from their life, um, either because of death or circumstance or, or because they never got to meet them or, you know, whatever the circumstances are. In some ways, it, it, it's like the ultimate wish fulfillment, you know, like that you have a second chance to talk to somebody who's died, that you can impart wisdom to yourself at a different point in your life. All of those things happen in this episode. And it's the, uh, like, I was sitting thinking, I'm like, emotionally, this is why I love time travel stories. It's like, as much as I love the going to different periods and, oh my God, what if the cause and effect and all of that, all of that is super fun, but it's really the emotion of what it can provide both for people in their own self-discovery or in talking to people who have been gone that that, this is why I love time travel stories. Which is really funny for me because I generally... I don't want to use the word hate, but I generally dislike and don't have an affinity for time travel stories um, because there is my logic brain that hates it when they kind of fuck with history and that kind of thing. But the one reason why this particular time travel story kind of resonates with me is like you said, is it deals with um, your emotional, like it, it deals with singular characters and their emotional journey and stuff like that and it's not so much as the the fucking with eras and time in in history and in that kind of thing which some other shows do um that i don't really enjoy as much it just the my logic brain kicks in just like okay guys this is this doesn't make sense but the reason why for once i in, am enjoying a time travel show is because it's still deeply rooted in the characters and their journeys and everything that they've learned, which is which are the things that I like in just stories in general. So that for me is what really worked, which is funny because yeah, I'm the opposite of you. I generally just despise time travel shows, but here I am. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing is, is like you know, I I love I love the pu- I mean, I love going to different eras. If you ask me if I had any superpower, it would be I would love to be able to time travel, right? Like I love all of that. Uh, I 
the idea that you could walk around in a different era. Um, I love the puzzle to it, right? Like when we're trying to break our brain about what old Jennifer knew, what and when, and the cause and effect and all, all of that. I I love all of that, but I am willing to forgive. I mean, this story not only is probably the best written time travel story I've ever seen, but it also hits all those emotional notes. I'm willing to forgive a lot of logic problems if you use time travel to hit those really kind of poignant wish fulfillment moments, because it's something that we, like as human beings, obviously can't have, you know, like it's something that you can only get from a story, um, like a time travel story, like a chance to talk to your mother who died, um, or the father you never knew, or, you know, your older self giving your younger self wisdom, or your younger self giving your older self hope. Like we can't actually do that in real life. Um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, if you think about... If you kind of like break it down, characters in this one episode who are confronted with earlier or later versions of themselves, you've got Jones, obviously talking to yourself. You've got Cassie realizing that what she thought was a past version of herself is actually maybe a future version of herself talking to her in that moment. Um, Like that just breaks your brain for a minute. You've got Cole observing himself, but then also talking to... Ramsey, who he had described in season three as the only conscience he had ever had. And then you've got Jennifer talking to herself, not through a function of time travel, but through a function of sort of like her her brains inventing someone to talk to because she's so lonely um, at that moment. Um, and then sort of on the on the character side of being confront like we're confronted with so many ghosts of characters who have who have died, right? Like from Eklund to Lasky to Whitley to Ramsey. It's just like kind of overwhelming when the camera cuts it first and you're like, oh my God, there's Eklund biting it into an apple. Like we haven't seen him since season two. Um, Beep, did you have any thoughts sort of on the time travel stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with, with Amy a lot of times and it's not just with time travel. I, I have this beef with a lot of sci-fi shows that... I'm not even talking about little things like or or like physics things like whatever you make up that your thing is. That's fine. I I don't you know, I'm not like, oh, that's not how fire works. Like, I don't care if that's how you say it works. That's great. But like, stay with it. (laughs) So a lot of times there's there's trouble in sci fi shows with like massive what ends up being retconning because they like couldn't keep track of their own mythology. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what bothers me. And I feel like these guys didn't do that. And on top of that, like you said, they also hit the character moments because often in those other shows, they don't do that either. And so then it's like, okay, you guys, you've lost me here. Like, I can't abide by this, you know, egregious oversight. Right. Uh, agree, agree, agree. Where, yeah, if you can't keep your mythology straight and stuff like that, and then on top of that, you destroy characters trying to rewrite your own mythology, that's where you start to lose me. And that can happen a lot in, like you say, genre sci-fi, genre television, and especially, like, time travel. Like, sometimes I feel like writers get too hung up on the gimmick, and they forget their characters and the story they're trying to tell, and that's something that 12 Monkeys has always... um, had to focus on the entire time that even when they do do the things like, you know, Diglaka or, or all the era time traveling and, and seeing all that, they still keep it tight to who the characters are and they've never lost sight, even though the characters all go through these amazing journeys and they're different from the characters we started with. They still make sense 
in in the narrative. So by the time they get to Hitler and they kill him, which you know, depending on exactly when that happened, may or may not have like future gigantic world consequences. You're just like li- willing to let it slide and not even think about it. Yeah, I'm willing to let so many things slide if you hit those character and emotional notes. You know, like I'm not me. Me personally, I'm not going to be that person on Reddit picking apart <laughs> and try right. Yeah. Like I just don't because you it, it's satisfying emotionally. Yeah. But they earned it. They earned the right to, you know, do something that could have altered and had huge consequences for everyone. That's fine. Right. They, it was good. It Loved did it. only temporarily because everything's reset. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> yeah. The other thing I was struck by, and maybe it's just like, I don't know, like a, coming at the end of a year or getting older. Or I, don't, I don't know. The line that hit me in a, in, in a way that it never had before watching this time is Cassie's um, 2018 interview when she says, we fight, we learn, we learn, we live. And I, I was just sort of struck by how like simple a summary of, of just like what it is to be a human being that is. Um, maybe it's because I'm also watching Buffy and I just watched an episode that said the hardest thing to do in this world <laughs> is live in it, you know, like, but I feel like that really, it, it not only hits at something uh, that's sort of fundamental to the human experience and anybody watching at home that isn't living necessarily in these crazy stakes, um, but it also goes to sort of like, all of the characters are emotionally really struggling in this episode with how to move on given what's happened, given past mistakes, given past traumas. Um, I just saw Frozen 2, so to borrow the phrase from that, how to do the next right thing, right? Like, I've made these mistakes. How do I – worrying about, like, how do we not repeat them and that and almost – like emotionally struggling with it and at some points almost being a little bit paralyzed by it. Like there's some moments in this episode where Cole is almost sort of like, particularly when he's talking to Ramsey, like how do I know, how do I know like how to not to fuck this up again? Right? Like, and it's all just not only sort of that statement captures what all the characters are going through, but it just felt like something that was a very, you know, it's simple and it's elegant, but it, it really gets at something that's very fundamental and relatable. Um, and obviously with Jennifer, too, trying to have sort of the self-confidence of like, how am I going to how am I going to pull this off on my own? I got to stop you for right now because I'm having an emotional experience from you <laughs> <laughs> making a Buffy reference. <laughs> All on your own. From the 2000. Oh my God. You know what, you know what we are? Like Amy, it's like you're Yoda and I'm Luke. And I finally just was able to lift the plane with my, with the force right. on my own. You're, yeah. And you're, you're now describing the force to other people. And I'm just sitting back like a happy old Yoda. Like, yeah, that's it. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. You now know, like, I am so like, seriously, I'm like, tears kind of welled up in my eyes a little bit, because I was like, the journey that that you have been on as an individual. Oh, my 
god. So just for background for folks that are like, what's going on? Amy has been my like Whedon verse uh, Yoda and taking me on a journey through Firefly and Buffy oh. and, you know, his Marvel movies and all of that. So it's culminated with I am actually fucking quoting Buffy during this 12 Monkeys <laughs> podcast. And I hope that you're proud. I'm so um, proud. One of your greatest shows of the decade, even though it finished in 2003. <laughs> well, yeah. And I just happened to watch. I just happened to watch Once More with Feeling uh, this past week for the first time where that line is repeated um, at the end of that episode. And and it's also an episode about somebody struggling with, um, I, I guess I don't have to like worry about spoilers since I'm the only one who hasn't seen this show. Um, it's like almost 20 years old, but like, you know, like struggling with like, how do I move forward and feeling like and depression and loss and trauma and I happened to watch that in the same week that I was rewatching this episode. And so that line, we fight, we learn, we learn, we live. Like, it's just a really, like, that's it. That's what being a human is, right? Like, that's all, that's the only way to move forward, right? Like, to learn and to, and to go on and wake up the next day and do it again. And yeah, maybe you will fuck up, but you've got a little bit more wisdom today than you did the day before. And imagine having like kick ass lines that actually resonate throughout the rest of the show. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was if that was a, you know, it what I, I don't even know, like I paid attention to it, but it was more of like, a, oh my God, that moment where she turns to the camera and really paying attention to what Cassie's saying. It really captures sort of what everybody's going through in this episode. And I don't like, I feel like we have mentioned in passing before the music, but this season four soundtrack, the music has always been really great on this show, but Stephen Barton, this, this season four soundtrack is one of my favorite for any television, like of all time. Um, And we have friends that like paint to the first splinter, like to that track, (laughs) right? Like it is really, really beautiful and and building on every like all of the themes that we've heard over the past three seasons but just like i don't know ascending um and and the end of this episode like the music gives me unbelievable chills it's really noticeable to me i think it in this episode especially um and not in a bad way like sometimes when you're watching a show you don't want to notice the music you don't want the music to be the thing that gives you the emotional cue like oh the music I can hear the crescendos telling me I should feel something now. Like generally you kind of want it to be in the background and stuff, but the music, like, like you say this season, but in particular to me in this episode, like there were a couple of moments and I'll discuss those later. Like when those moments come up where the music really kind of stuck out to me and not in a way where it was telling me like, Oh, I'm supposed to be feeling emotion in this moment, but it was like, I'm feeling emotion in this moment and the music's here to like put a warm blanket over me and guide me through it. <laughs> like that's what it felt like to me. Right. <laughs> because I'm crying. <laughs> so I'm glad somebody is. Yeah. Yeah. Because exactly. instead of like telling you how it, how you should feel, it's taking how you feel and just making it worse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anytime, it it any- amplifies it and it's like, ah, the fucking strings. Like, do they sit there and they're like, mm, we need some strings here just to make, if they're not crying, if they're on the verge of it, just like, can you throw a cello in and just fuck them up? <laughs> like, is that, like, ugh. 
A cello always fucks me up. Cello always fucks me up. I, I think it's a cello at, at the like the final splinter that like pushes me over the edge. Okay, cool. So we mentioned sort of at the top that this, you know, we open with Pilot, Ramsey, and Cole walking through the post-apocalypse. This is the this is where we started the whole thing. Um, this is the opening shot of of Twelve Monkeys, um, and I believe Terry Metalla said on the podcast before a lot of the footage that they used in this was actually some of it's in the pilot, but some of it was unused footage um, from filming um, when they filmed it in Detroit and. Tell me, like, did you guys have sort of any first impressions? I'll, I'll scream in a moment about the watch on Cassie's corpse, but <laughs> any opening thoughts sort of about revisiting this Cole and Ramsey? I loved the the dynamic right away was Ramsey, like, warning, like, <laughs> hey, we shouldn't go in there. We need to be careful. The scabs are afoot. And then, you know... Guns blazing, Cole goes in there and is just like, nope, it's fine. <laughs> Says nothing. Just ignores Ramsey and goes. And then later, Ramsey's proven to be right and just calling it out, like, so annoyed. Right. Like, yeah, right. maybe we should have waited, huh? Yeah, like, right again. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that is so, is like, encompasses their entire dynamic of like big brother, little brother, kind of in a way. Like, yeah. Ramsey always being like, God damn it, Cole. Jesus Christ. Here we right. go again. You know, and they have been so tortured for so long, right? Like all of the divides between the two of them that it reminds you that they like used to be really fun to watch, you know, like they're, they're back and forth. And like, I mean, it's, it's also a little jarring after they have almost this like near death experience and murder people. They're like, ah, that was a close one. Right. Like that just reminds you what their day to day existence was like, right. That they're able to just be like, man, almost got killed by that. Those scabs. Ugh, right. And just like brush it off. Right. Well, and for me, ironically, it's, after <laughs> Ramsey, you know, is is killed, like, it, it's kind of his reoccurrences that we see in season four, in which I kind of fully appreciate um, Ramsey's character and what he meant to Cole and what, you know, Cole meant to him. Because he was, Ramsey's kind of, like, like you said earlier, like, Cole has said, like, that's his conscious and stuff like that. And he's also in very many ways, like, the heart and soul of the show. Um, and I kind of feel bad when I first watched the show, I never really kind of gave Ramsey the respect of like some other people. It's like their favorite character. Um, shout out to Sarah out there. Uh, <laughs> but for me, I was kind of, I, it wasn't that I disliked him or anything. It was just like, he wasn't, something about him didn't fully kind of resonate with me on the level of, of some of the other characters. And it really wasn't until like scenes like this one in which after like he's, he's died and has had all this this emotional journey with Cole going back and seeing what they meant to each other mm -hmm. in those beginning times and the humor and heart that Ramsey would bring like the lightness considering everything that they've been through mm -hmm. and the journey that they've had even getting to Jones and, and the splintering and all that even before then like everything they had gone through that Ramsey still had a way of of bringing a light into that world yeah. for them both. Yeah. 
And this, in that moment, and having that that dynamic and the joking with between each other, really kind of reminded us um, how much Ramsey gave to Cole as far as bringing him uh, joy, like in that world, in that moment, laughter, even you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, and um, part of it is a function of uh, you know, drama comes from conflict, and so. Once they had established that brotherhood, there was a lot of drama to be um, derived from pitting Ramsey against Cole, and Cole is our protagonist, and we saw more of his point of view, right, than we did Ramsey's. Um, and so, well, once Cole became like the chosen one, mm-hmm. um, that really started to put a strain on like their relationship moving forward, because then Cole became more about the mission instead of living in the moment sort right. of thing. And that that's that's when the divide kind of started between the the two of them. So, yeah. Yeah, it just but all of it all of it just reminds you, man, I really loved watching them joke around, right? Like this whole episode is like just a giant feels monster. And, you know, and and you think that this at least at the time, I thought this episode was sort of our goodbye to him. Um, but really, like, all of this is the fuckers are just setting us up for him to come back in the series finale. And we'll get that forgiveness between the two of them. But I really thought that this was sort of our love letter goodbye to Ramsey because obviously brothers ended so tragically. Right. Um, so it, 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 it's not, but it, it is setting up what to heighten the emotional impact when he comes back in the series finale, right? It's like reminding you, you love this guy. You know, at one point you did. Here's how good this is, that even if he doesn't come back, this is still a really touching, it, it still would have been a really good goodbye for them and, and that, right. you know, and it still would have been a really good ending for Ramsey's character had this still been the moment because of some of the moments that like Cole and Ramsey share at the end of this episode. Right. But uh, the fact that then they bring him back another time, like, fuck you guys, really? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the difference in that last one is it's both of them are aware of everything that has transpired between them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, like, that different Ramsey does make it land more yeah yeah like yeah screw screw them for doing that (laughs) well because well because cole gets his absolution kind of now but then later on ramsey kind of gets his absolution right right yeah i mean the the line the line later on only the dead can forgive you're like man you fuckers because you're gonna bring the dead back (laughs) at the end of this story right like so that forgiveness can be mutually given to one another yeah, so that takes us to, speaking of uh, feels monsters, Cole seeing the watch once again on Cassie's corpse, like we began this story. But the things that we know, what we now, what, well, let me take that back. On rewatch, what we know is that Cole was with her when she died, but she also is the Cassie from the series finale. Um, that was dying in his arms. So it's just like a great reminder um, and feels grenade. Like as, you know, and of course they do the voiceover of see you soon just to like top off the like feels grenade. If you guys don't, do you guys have any sort of other thoughts about that scene or can we move to sort of the uh, fireside, grumpy fireside chat between Jones and Casserole? 
again, that see you soon is just another one of those God damn it, you fuckers moment. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, you already showed me the watch. Did you really have to whisper the see you soon that he said from the pot? Ah. Right. Like, I kind of feel like that's a theme throughout season four is, oh, you fuckers. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Pretty. I mean, we mean that like so lovingly and appreciate in a very appreciative way. We but, do. But yeah. <laughs> Tell me your thoughts about there. There's a really, you know, uh, the tension between Jones and Cassie. It's not quite what it was in sort of the season opener, but they don't forget. I mean, I think it's interesting. These are two. Cassie is a grieving mother. Um, so was Jones. Like that's as we will be remi- as she will remind herself, right? Like that's how this whole story started. Um, do you guys have any thoughts, sort of initially about their conversation leading up to before, like both the fire and when they're going into to break into the facility? I really, really kind of love. I feel like this is a really underrated moment. I love Amanda's acting in this moment because you feel her anger and disdain like at discussing Olivia mm-hmm. at all like the line when she was like she was never more protected than when she was with mm-hmm. you Oof. right and and so you feel the seeds because this is still like the beginning of season four post you know um Ethan being killed like so you feel those seeds of disdain that just only amplify throughout uh, the season sh- leading to Olivia and Cassie's showdown in the finale. Mm-hmm. And it's also just an interesting, and like you said, like they, they have both uh, felt loss. Um, but, but in for Jones and Cassie and for this is, is kind of this role reversal moment. Whereas, you know, Jones in the beginning was someone who had lost her daughter and everything generally she was doing was not really, to save humanity, um, it was to save Hannah, and humanity was just like, oh, and you guys too, uh, and and then Cassie was a bit more idealistic back then, and now we see the reverse of that, where Jones is starting to be more introspective and stuff, and now Cassie is the one who's a grieving mother and doing whatever she, you know, can to right a wrong in her mind, which is for her revenge to Olivia. Her mission now is I have to kill that bitch because she took my son. Right. So it was really interesting to see how uh, Olivia, um, not Olivia, but Cassie and Jones have kind of role reversal to who they were again to season one and where they are now and how that uh, shapes where they move forward the rest of the season and the choices that they make. Um, because, you know, in, in the beginning, in, in season one, Cassie really didn't have that sort of skin in the game, I guess you would say. So she could be much more, like, objective about missions, whereas now it's 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 personal, even though she's just like, hey, this has always been about revenge. Right, right. Like, that line. So when Joe – I mean, it's so – talk about <laughs> – well, should we shout like Ouroboros bingo? Like talk about like going full, like going full circle as you just described as how these characters started out um, selfishly motivated at their core, right? Jones is going to call herself out on that later in this episode um, and more sort of thinking about the 7 billion. When Jones says, um, 
Don't be uh, blinded by hope for an ending. Don't be blinded by revenge, right? Like, that's what motivated Jones was trying to get her daughter back. She was all about the ending and her child. And when Cassie says, like, that, this has only ever been about revenge, it, it it's just like throwing back in Jones's face, right? Like, Jones has the wisdom. I mean, she has the wisdom and both the, the fact that she had got her daughter back, um, right? That she's able to sort of see where Cassie's at and recognize it and say it out loud. But then again, when she was in Cassie's position, you know, we'll see her in a few scenes. She was the one giving the speech saying, let's go kill that one person, right? And it was about her daughter. And it was such a subtle disagreement, this moment. Like, this isn't two people, you know, letting their emotions rule them, even though their emotions are ruling them, and let it, like, turn into anger. It's very subtle how, like, they're making their points putting their points across to each other and how that right journey just accumulates t- to the end of the episode, even to, to the, some mm-hmm. of the speeches that they both give at the end of the episode is, is so interesting that it kind of starts with this conversation, which is why I feel like it's such an underrated moment that this, yes. this back and forth that, that uh, Jones and Cassie are having. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that Cole is, I mean, as of right now, there's really kind of like only, you know, the 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 biggest dilemma in front of them is how are they even going to time travel at all, right? Um, and that's what Cole was the most focused on, um, lead, leading kind of coming from the last episode. But Cole is sort of Cole goes on this journey in this episode where he's caught more. I don't know if caught in the middle is the right because he you know he's focused on Jennifer and he articulated that in the last episode, but. You know, it makes sense. He's also a grieving parent, but but Cassie and Cole's journey with respect to their feelings for their son have always been a little bit different. Um, and I, I, he goes on this sort of journey of considering his moral choices because he's faced with from the beginning of the episode. And I think Aaron Stanford's acting. There's a lot of just kind of like facial acting and unshed tears which unshed tears always like break me more than even people sobbing um when he is like he is confronted with his biggest regret his probably if he was going to, like his greatest sin which was killing his brother and he has to deal with it throughout this whole episode from the top of the episode of observing himself with Ramsey and the way they used to be all the way through actually having to have a conversation with Ramsey and he comes out at the end of this episode on this sort of journey of introspection and comes out on Jones's side. When he also the part where Cassie kind of clocks his looking at, you know, he and Ramsey in that moment. And when he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I'm like, dude, no, sir, you are not fine. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you are not fine at all. Like, and that's the other thing. He's not just grieving his son, who's totally grieving in a different way than say Cassie is, but he's still not just regretting the choice that he made to having to kill his brother, but he's still grieving. Like you see grief on his face. And, and like you said, like he's, he's still trying to grapple with that while on top of it, um, staying on mission. So it's this, it's, he's trying to like balance these emotions while staying on mission 
knowing what it takes to get them there and then wondering in that moment, is it all worth it? Like all the losses, all the personal losses that you have to suffer. Like I had to kill my brother in order to get us to this moment. And is it all worth it in the end if that's if that's the price that I have to pay? Um, and I have a Buffy reference. <laughs> well, I can't like you. You can't be the only one that has a Buffy reference in this podcast. That would be Shocker. weird. <laughs> I have to have a Buffy reference every time I come on the podcast. Yes, but it it reminded me of uh again the season finale of season five Buffy when Buffy has to make a choice between her sister. Um, and, and the world, like Dawn being the key, like, Hey, if it all comes down to it, like she's even confronted by Giles, her mentor, like, look, like if, you know, Dawn starts to bleed and opens up the gate and stuff like that, the answer here is we've got to kill Dawn and Buffy rebuffing that being like, I, that's, I've taken so many personal losses through my journey that this is where I draw the line. Like, if Dawn dies, then I'm done. Um, that's not happening. So no matter what she's deciding in that moment, she's grappling with, here's the one time that Buffy's just like, you know what, I, I can't sacrifice the one for the many here. Mm-hmm. That this is the time where it's, it's, not worth the, it's not worth all the personal cost to me to, to like, stay on mission. Like, because at what cost in the end? And it's something that is, is a theme in this episode for them. Like, right. what cost is it? Like, all these bodies keep building up. Like, what is the cost? Is it even worth saving it if we have to break down our own humanity in order to get there? And you know what I think is interesting, Amy, as you were describing that, the two characters that are going through that journey of introspection and thinking about their moral choices are Cole and Jones. They're the ones that at the end of this story are the two that ultimately sacrifice. I mean, I know Deacon does too, but Jones has already like the, the clock is ticking. She's, she's, she has sacrificed her life um, in the last episode for this mission. And obviously Cole, all of this is going to culminate with him sacrificing himself for the world. Um, despite all of the people he's gained, right? Like this whole journey of him starting out alone with just Ramsey and gaining this family and then having to give them up and erase himself even from what, from like ever existing in their memory as far as he knows, right? And so this whole, this whole episode of sort of con- like considering the cost of their choices, it's just such, you know, it's not only considering like where they've been, it just is really setting Jones and Cole up for the rest of their journey for the series. Cece, yeah. Cole is the Buffy. <laughs> he's the, he, oh my god, he's the fucking Buffy. Oh my god, Amy. He's Buffy in season five, sacrificing himself for the world. He's Buffy in season five. Oh my god, that's totally right. And then he achieves heaven, but thank god his friends don't pull him back from it. <laughs> his, his, his afterlife is getting to actually live in the world. Oh my god. That would have been season five. That would have been season five, 12 Monkeys. 
and there would have been a musical. <laughs> I would have killed for a 12 Monkeys musical. Come on. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Um, Beep, did you have something about that? Uh, I would just like to mirror, actually, Amy's thoughts about uh, that Buffy episode, because I find the same to be true with all of the arguments made on the Angel episode, A Hole in the World. Oh, really all I'd like to say about that, because I cannot fucking discuss it. (laughs) Oh, God, it will never not be too much. And we really can't because I really want I really want CC to I move know, on to that I know one you can't. next. But and so we really can't say anything about that. But yes, I I feel you. I feel you so much on that one, Beep. It, it's in a different way, but I yeah. will say that episode is harder for me than the gift. Yeah. The, yeah. Yes. Yeah, but I mean that's interesting because thematically, what whether it's the gift or whether it's the series finale here, it is a show that constantly set up the one versus the many. And then ultimately the right choice is self-sacrifice. Right. And, and that is a, that's a theme that they thread subtly. You know, if, if we can jump to the day of the first splinter, um, Jones's speech really highlights um, both, both at the, both at the beginning when she's standing at the machine holding the watch and both at the end of the episode when Cole actually splinters in the way she dehumanizes the person that they have to kill. So when she says, we're on a mission to end one life to begin another, the target is Leland Frost, not even a man. He's a number. One for seven billion, right? That, that should be a red flag. Anytime you are dehumanizing someone and saying you don't even have to think about them as a man, he or she, it's just a number. That should be a red flag that maybe, I'm not saying that like if we were in that position and you were, had that trolley car problem that you wouldn't choose the seven billion over the one. But anytime you're framing it morally that way should be a red flag, (laughs) right? Like, so. Well, because we all know it depends on the one. Like, it depends, because for her in that moment, Leland is just, she doesn't know him. So that one doesn't matter to her because she has no personal connection to it. So yeah, the minute you dehumanize that, but the minute that connection becomes personal, like the minute that one becomes, say, for Jones, Hannah, well then, fuck that, it's the one over over the billion you know what's so what i think is so smart about sort of the juxtaposition of these speeches that jones gives and then the camera is the camera you know she's talking about the one versus the many should we call her past jones past jones keeps talking about the one versus the many both now and then later on when cole splinters and then the camera is showing you all the people who have died they're showing you Eklund, they're showing you Lasky, they're showing you Ramsey, Whitley, right? Like they, the show is putting the human cost to these moral choices front and center. And now that human cost is something that like the audience feels just like the characters that are up high watching, just like Cassie and Cole and Jones looking down. I was like, particularly with Jones, like watching it, watching herself say that and then seeing Right in front of her, like you said, all the loss that that she has suffered personally and people who were close to her. And I just want to, like, point out, like, again, you were talking about earlier, like, uh, the physical acting of, like, Cassie and stuff like that. 
But Barbara Sakawa's physical mm-hmm. acting in this moment in which you're seeing past Jones and current Jones. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like her voice, which is totally changed because it's so much softer now. But, you know, and the, and the, obviously the hand tremors and stuff like that. But her posture, the way she walks, oh, the way yeah. she carries herself, like her physical acting in that moment versus even like, you know, the, the different versions of Cole and stuff like that is just such a remarkable difference. It's almost like that that Superman to Clark Kent difference in, in just physical stature. Oh, right. Like the original Superman when he takes the glasses off. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, then stands exactly. up tall, like, like, cause her confidence level and everything. So she commands a presence just physically with her body in a way that the, the current Jones just has softened. Yeah. Like she's, sti- yeah, she's standing straight up, legs apart, right? Like just firmly in command. Whereas, our Jones, like this season, yeah. our Jones is slumped over, leaning on things, right? Like, I mean, just kind of like instead of projecting, like think, like contrast her physical performance where she gives the speech with the watch, with her the scene where she's talking with Cassie and Cole, and and is leaning against the wall, kind of slunched in, res- like listening to what they're saying instead of telling everyone what the mission is like it's captured even like physically how she's carrying herself yeah Yeah, and her and her voice like like before it's so sharp and and commanding and just so definitive versus current jones is it's it's she softened up the edges like she's still there and in command and she's still like smart and powerful in this journey but it's just like a, a softened edged Jones here. And I also love the fact that current Jones still doesn't find Ramsey amusing. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> the best. And Cole, every, when he calls the sheet machine a piece of shit, yep. and Cole, like, past Cole laughs and present Cole laughs, and Jones, both Jones, they're fucking not amused. And, Jer- and yeah, and Jones is like, fuck him, fuck you, fuck everyone. <laughs> You know, the other layer to this speech, um, as she's holding up the watch and she says, this watch is proof um, of their, uh, you know, of sort of that their mission is going to be successful and they should have confidence in it, is also a performance because that Jones, we now know on re- like on like watching this in season four, we know from Paradox that she always knew that Cole successfully time traveled. So it's interesting to watch her in that leadership role. And she's, uh, you know, like, it reminds you of that season one Jones that was being very strategic in terms of when she's persuading the crowd to follow her, what she's honest about and what she's presenting sort of like as the narrative of the mission. Because she has... It's not, it's not just the watch. She knows a lot of other things that confirm that she's going to be like, she's going to be able to figure out the tether and this, this is going to be successful because she's already met Cole in the past. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally makes sense. <laughs> also, <laughs> totally. don't laugh at me, Pete. Also the line, cause I just want to shout out to Terry because I know he wrote this episode, but like, how satisfied was he when he wrote the line, how high a wall of bodies must be, must we build to see the curve of history? Like, that is such a good line. Such a good line. 
Dude. That I even had to look it up and be like, did he steal this from someone <laughs> else? Like, it sounds like such like this historical, like, sort of line that, like, you know, uh, like, similar to, like, the uh, Martin Luther King, you know, the arc of the moral history is long, but bends towards justice yes. sort of line where yeah. I'm just like, God damn, that is a really poetic line. Yeah. So, Terry, if you're listening, fantastic job. You had to be really proud of that one. Oh my god! Yeah, I, I that line. Uh, since we're recording in uh, late December 2019, in the middle of like a really shitty period on uh, I don't know world history, American history, you name it. Um, <laughs> like it, it's not just about this show, right? It's it's, right. it's that Battlestar Galactica. All of this is hap- All of this will happen again, right? Like, just how do we keep making the same? mistakes and that's particularly interesting in an episode that is really digging into the morality of these characters decisions right like i feel like you could i don't know like that that has application to sort of the larger world and human history right like how many times are we going to keep making these mistakes right going to war all of this right like yeah Right. And, and how we kind of flip in that because Cassie and Jones obviously are two characters that have kind of done the moral flip on this where one used to feel, you know, one way. Now they've, they've switched that. And it's, it was kind of interesting to me. And you mentioned it earlier how Cole is kind of t- taking it all in. He's almost an observer in this sort of, you know, moral flip between Cassie and Jones and, and how one's kind of, you know, taking history and being like, hey, what we did before doesn't work. And whereas Cassie's just like, no, what I was thinking before doesn't work. I to- I'm totally focused on the one. Um, Colby, he, he, I kind of almost feel like he's like this audience insert in this episode where he's just this neutral party that's kind of taking it all in and considering all the options, kind of, you know, quietly observing uh, both Cassie and Jones kind of tell their sides and kind of be in his ear. They're almost like the devil and the and the angel on his shoulders while he takes it all in and makes, you know, his decision. Yeah. Well, he's taking so much in, right? Because he's got... Yeah. Right? Like, present... I, I think part of the journey he goes on, not only in talking to Ramsey um, and having a chance to sort of, once again, talk to that person in his life who was always his conscience, right? Um, I mean, even the way they enter this, the facility, it reminds you of how they en- how they were able to infiltrate it again in Atari, where that whole episode was focused on how Ramsey was like the moral compass for Cole, right? Um, this, it's not just sort of the current debates, but it's the debates they're having at what Jones is saying, juxtaposed with watching what they thought about their mission in the past and reckoning with, right? Like there's all these shots, like reaction shots of of Jones and Cole watching from above, looking at each other every time their past selves are saying things like, yeah, you know, like one and done and we'll, you know, like we'll kill Leland Frost and then like reset everything and it'll be great. And then you've got like Jones and Cole looking at each other like narrator it would not be (laughs) you know like so i think it's like it's that's part of the whole like you're right like you've got cassie on one side of this debate it's it's the mission is what it always has been we were just wrong on who we were 
we, we didn't know who the witness was, right? Like, yeah. why would we, right? Like, we have the person wrong. Now we know definitively who it is. That is literally our only lead. You want to go chase, you want to go find Jennifer and, like, chase drawings when you don't even know what the fuck they mean, right? Like, Cassie's being very, very logical. What, what Jones is proposing is about faith. That's not logical, right? right? Like, believe in Jennifer, believe in each other, believe that Jennifer has an answer. That is not making it, that's a decision that is based on faith and not logic. Um, and the whole journey Cole goes on, both talking to, I mean, it's like Jones's own introspective journey then feeds Cole's and leads him to sort of their joint decision at the end. No, we're in this together and we're going to choose... We're going to choose basically the hopeful mission, which is really interesting because the show's been playing with this since, I mean, definitely season, it, def, it reminds me of the debates Cole and Cassie were having at the beginning of season two when they were debating like killing Jennifer and sort of talking yeah. about that in the aftermath. Yeah. I mean, it's been an Ouroboros of this debate from the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ouroboros bingo. Everybody drink. <laughs> I mean, is it really asking for a ton of faith to listen to Jennifer, though? I feel like that's always the answer. I mean, if you're Cassie, I get why you're like, what the fuck? We know who the witness is. Why would oh, I'm just we go kidding. I totally yeah. agree with her. <laughs> just, you should always listen to Jennifer. Right. You know what the, the wonderful irony to this, all of these debates, though, right, is that they are against we as the audience know that like Jones and Cole are putting their faith in Jennifer's visions while Jennifer is no longer having those visions and is at a total loss because of that right like they're like we just need to find Jennifer and, and she has the visions and the drawings and meanwhile Jennifer in 2018 those voices have stopped those visions have stopped yeah the thing I find interesting in kind of the showdown specifically between Jones and Cassie and all that moment is, you know, they're back to the one versus 7 billion, of course. And it's just an interesting parallel, though, because they've kind of switched sides. Like, Jones is like, okay, I got my one, and it still didn't solve it. And like, Cassie's like, I just lost my one. And like, now we're having a problem. But when it comes to their like little resentment issue, little resentment issue, oh, Lord, <laughs> that doesn't quite cover it. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to like, the sides that they're facing, they're, they're very, very intertwined with each other because Cassie's sitting here with like, okay, I got your one back and you cost me mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, boom. It would be, That's it. it. Would, <laughs> Just, it would, I don't know. Yeah, boom. Walk away. <laughs> boom. I don't, we're done here. <laughs> it would be, yeah, it's a bitter... Amanda Schul's performance is really... Uh, it's really layered. It would be a bitter pill to swallow to hear this from Jones at this point. You know, well, and also to hear nothing from Cole, like he's just not like you said, as, as far as him being the insert, like he really doesn't say much this episode about the current stuff. He's just kind of like there, like feeling his way through, like what exactly I'm going to do. And she's asking for the support and he mm -hmm. kind of just like stares at her. And that well, is, that feels like a betrayal in the moment, you know? Right. He's. He really, it's interesting you bring that up because, yeah, he really does. Like, I, I write I, in my notes, I'm looking like I use the word neutral party in here a lot um, when describing Cole throughout this episode because he really seems to be either that he's so kind of spun so, out yeah, seeing yeah. Ramsey um, and and living within that his that own personal regret that he can't even 
think to be there, like for the Cassie and her grieving of Ethan, their son, like they're all kind of in their own little personal bubbles for how they feel in this moment, uh, facing their past yeah. selves. And so, yeah, he's almost like silent in, in a lot of this where there are moments where Cassie kind of looks to Cole, particularly at the end. And, and yeah, we'll get to that. But where Cassie looks to Cole like, hey, help me out here. And Cole's like, I, I he's got nothing. Like he's still, he's really almost kind of right. lost a little bit in this episode until he has that moment later with Ramsey. But you can see in that conversation later with Ramsey how really lost kind of Cole is yeah. right now. And also, I mean, the other thing that I think is interesting about Cassie and Cole in this episode, I I appreciate it is very adult in that they have they are having very different emotional like they are processing their grief in very different ways. Like as people do in real life. They are at odds, you know, they've got crazy stakes, right? Like not most of us, if we were dealing with an event like losing a child are then having to like make, you know, mission decisions to basically save the universe the next day. But like, right, like they're having strategic and moral differences between the two of them. You can tell that there's an emotional cost. You can tell that there's strain, but you can also like, it's, there's not like a – I think other shows would have framed this very differently and it would have been more melodramatic and it would have been more of like a fracture between the two of them and they would have like kind of gone for the drama. And instead, it's just like very adult, right? Like they are kind of in their own – like they're processing it in a different way and there is – pain in that they are not together in it but it is not like a melodramatic like i can't believe you're not coming with me right like that kind of a lot of shows would have played that differently does that make sense right well and and almost all the little arguments like in this episode were so well done because they're understated like you said there's not the yelling there's not the overdramatic screaming about it because obviously we know there's heightened emotions here but they're still all very, like, in check. They're still kind of keeping it, like, close to their vest kind of thing. And particularly in this, in the Cassie and Cole moments, because they did both lose their son. And you're not seeing Cole react with his grief over it the same way as Cassie is. And that's completely and totally fair, because as you know, like... Every individual reacts to grief very differently. How they go through the stages, how they cope with it, um, it's extremely different. Some people can quickly get over things, some people can't. And to lose your child, um, and as a mother, it's it's hard to kind of argue with, with Cassie in these moments when she looks to Cole to try to be in that same grief pattern with her. Like when she's like, it's, it's the woman who killed our son, Cole. Like, why wouldn't you be right with me in this journey? And she's not so much angry that he isn't with her in the same grief pattern that she is. She's mm -hmm. saddened by it. It's She's depressed by it. Um, so there isn't anything she can argue at that point because she is already where she's at. And, and Cole's, you know, at a different place that, that Cole wouldn't right. want to come with her. Um, and, and like you said, in reality, not only do 
you know, we all deal with grief differently, but losing a child, um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but it's one of the top reasons why a lot of like families who've lost a child end in divorce. It's something that does deeply fracture even like the healthiest of marriages and relationships because um, how we deal with grief is so different and yeah. with each individual that it's kind of hard to like grieve together in that way. And you see here, even though we know that Cole does, you know, later join her and stuff like that, and they do come together here, but we see here how there are those little cracks in which they are grieving their son's loss um, in very different yeah. ways. Um, because I think, I think for Cole here, uh, Ethan's not someone he really knew. Uh, it's someone who's still kind of an ideal for him that he didn't, as someone he didn't know very well versus his grief over Ramsey is completely different. That's more family to him in, in a different, more, you know, a, a way that he can grip onto. Whereas Cassie, she carried Ethan. You know, and there is a difference in that when you carry a child and give birth to them uh, versus Cole was not around to experience any yeah, of that. Yeah, those are really good points. So it's it's very realistic how they've they've shown that that Cassie and Cole are really grieving their son's loss, not as a cohesive group. But later they do, you know, come to that point. But right now they're they're grieving that and taking that on very differently. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting that like the way right um Cole is he's emotional, but he's not at least at the beginning of the episode when Cassie's trying to see if he's okay, he's like I'm fine, right? But he's obviously emotional. He does reach out in some of the most affectionate ways we've ever seen him interact with Jones, right? Like every time she falters, he's there to hold her, right? And obviously we'll get to the freaking uh I'll sob like hand seed at the end of the episode but Cassie's grief right now is taking the form of anger and and she wants revenge and if you're not emotionally in that same place that would be a really hard thing you know like and so you can kind of like I just I all of this is just to say like I love that they show the two of them grieving differently and I love that like it doesn't it's not necessarily how you would how you would see that unfolding for a male character versus a female character in a lot of television shows. Do you know what I mean? Right? Like I feel like maybe we would see the male character angry and want revenge whereas, you know, like so Whereas you see the female character more emotional and kind of like, re like she being the hopeful one. So, and that's something right. they've done with Cassie and Cole throughout the show. So I, I have just a lot of, I, a lot of admiration and I just respect how they, in a very adult and sophisticated way, explored some really complicated, and, and there's not a lot of time. There's 11 episodes in the season, but they did a really good job of giving them that space to show grief kind of presenting in different ways. If you guys don't have anything else about that, tell me your thoughts about Cassie walking by the room where Cole is watching the 2018 recording of her interview with ENN, our long and storied uh, news network throughout 12 Monkeys. <laughs> it's been around since season one. Um, Tell me your thoughts about her watching Cole, watching her, and then realizing it's really a future her talking to herself. 
I think the hardest thing is just when it hits that like this Cassie hasn't been that Cassie yet. Yeah. And there's like your, you know, your weird Ouroboros. Like she has, when you go back and you have to finish the loop and it's like that Cassie, even though she's talking about things that are in some ways like hopeful, even though there's like a weird cynicism under it all, not even cynicism. There's like, she seems kind of apathetic in a way that I feel like is not necessarily giving respect to the fact, like to what's going on in the world. Well, she has to play it like, yeah, let's, let's, let's back up. You're right. Because everyone drank, this is an Ouroboros, right? Like Cassie is saying to that Cassie, the Cassie that wet goes back after the series finale goes back to 2018, gives this, gives this interview is saying what she remembers her past self saying, right? Like this is an, it's an Ouroboros. Like she's saying this in the interview because she remembers that she did it. It's a circle, right? And I think like what, if we can kind of break down what she said and then we'll kind of like jump into that beep, if that makes sense. Um, First, she's talking about sort of another cycle, which is a cycle through history of how you have plagues and she gives the example of the Black Plague and then you have terrible things that happen and massive loss of life, but then that gives rise to rebirth and her example there is in the form of the Renaissance. And she is giving sort of that historical context, you know, as a virologist that this is sort of the course of human history, which I don't know, if you were home viewing, you'd be like, yeah, but I'm in the plague now. (laughs) So that's not super comforting. But her, we fight, we learn, we learn, we live. Terrible things happen, so great things can happen next. The Cassie who is watching that is thinking uh, first and foremost of Ethan, but also all of the horrible things that have happened, right? She's also, she thinks Lost Deacon, right? Like all of the things that they've gone through. And then she tells, her future self tells her, Cassie, a circle, a loop is just a second chance. So let's break down what future we think future Cassie meant versus how present Cassie takes that advice. What do you guys, what do you guys think future Cassie meant? Like she knows that they're going to actually be able to break out of this loop and solve the problem. I mean, I think the interesting part there that sticks out to me is, is her saying a second chance. And, and what she meant by that, which to me struck out in my head was because I kept thinking like, they do get a second chance. All these dead characters essentially get a second chance. And ultimately, Cole gets his second chance. Right. Even though that Cassie who's saying that doesn't know that that yet. Right. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think pre- present Cassie, I assume, takes her f- advice to mean now you've got a second chance to get it right and kill the right person, kill the witness. Right. right? You can kill the witness now. Right. Yeah. And whereas the one who, the Cassie who's saying it has already gone through the series finale, has gotten back into the machine knowing that they saved the world, but she knows the choice she's going to make, right? Like it's, it's that it's going to be the wrong choice then, but she probably also remembers that she was having a really hard time that day. And so she's giving herself advice that she actually knows that she's going to take the wrong way. It's like a brain breaking Ouroboros. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. She's, she was just like, what can I say here that's going to make that Cassie do the wrong thing, but ultimately be the right thing? Like, <laughs> oh, it'll be this. Like, right. I I mean, the other thing that I love is a detail that we never had before is that 
before Cole went back, you know, in the pilot, we saw Cole look at that picture of Cassie on the bulletin board, right? Now we know that before his mission, Cole has like, he's like pacing the room, right? It's like almost like he's pumping himself up to go on this mission. And he has watched this interview so many times that he knows, he knows what she says by heart, right? Like the, you know, we like learn and we lit, we fight and all of that. Like he knows that by heart. And then you have present Cassie, there's like this real poignancy of watching a Cole that has never met her yet and realizing that like in some ways he had taken some inspiration from her, right? And then I I don't know if I'm reading too much into it. It goes from sort of this poignancy to at least I interpreted sort of what's going on in Amanda Schul's face is like real sadness and kind of hitting her what is sort of the consistent thread throughout the season that's going to lead to what she says, like, we can't fix the future and keep the past, right? Like, she will lose Cole, what she says later, this was always a one-way trip. And so it's kind of this, I mean, there's a lot of emotions going on, right? Like, because not only is she being confronted with what she she thinks is the shiny Cassie of, like, shiny, clean Cassie was fighting the, of like, right? Like, it's a lot going on. She's like a she's a real depressed Cassie in this season because of all those things like the yeah she's she's definitely Buffy season six <laughs> this Cassie like where yeah. she's struggling to like she's struggling to like refine that Michigan again and so it's little things like okay my mission is just it's got to be Olivia like she's trying it's almost like she's trying to fix her heart in this season. Like her heart has been broken so m- many times and all of her choices is, is her ways of trying to heal herself to be able to, to continue the mission. And that's so hard to do when she, you know, the person left that means the most to her, even if they win, she doesn't get to be with him, you know? Right. Like, yeah. Um, did you guys have anything about that or should we move to Jones and Jones? Jones and Jones. Scheiser. <laughs> it's such a great, like, in German, as we are both troubled this evening, we might help ourselves, right? Like, the writing makes your brain break. It's somebody talking to themselves. Welcome to the closest that Jones ever gets to being Jennifer. <laughs> right. It's so great because it's hilarious. It's, like, really striking in this episode, that you've got the two characters that are talking to themselves, even though the circumstances are very different, couldn't be more different <laughs> with Jennifer and Jones. But I love how this, what I was struck by watching this, see, this, this time is that in some ways, this is the reverse of chicken and egg Jennifer and resurrection, right? Like in resurrection, we had an old Jennifer giving young Jennifer sort of the confidence and wisdom that an older self could tell a younger self, right? Like, I love you and you can do this and you can be braver. And it's kind of like a pep talk that's coming from a place of of wisdom um, and kind of having peace with yourself. And this is the opposite. This is a older Jones who is kind of at a little bit at at sea because she doesn't know what the mission should should be. She's made grave errors, which Cassie has reminded her of with respect to trusting Olivia. And 
This is an older self talking to that younger version of yourself that is hopeful and optimistic and thinks anything is possible. And so that line of like, take a little hope from me, it's just such a like, clever and thoughtful way to think about like you would always think like what would I tell my younger self but like what would your younger self remind you of now does that make sense it does like I loved that I loved that line of like here take take my hope like you look like you need it like you need this energy boost from me I also love the fact that when the two the two Joneses are talking to each other and, and kind of feel each other out um that they Actually, you can sense that they're like enjoying each other's perspectives, like they're brainstorming with each other and having like this delightful conversation, which kind of struck me because like you say, you think of like, oh, what would an older version say to my younger self? Or what would a younger version say, you know, to my older like self? I I keep thinking that I would tell them to fuck off (laughs) or vice versa (laughs) because that's just me especially when they're coming to me with like if I'm like out of hope and they're like super hopeful I'd be like listen younger self you just haven't seen a lot of shit yet but the fact that so that's so that's so gen x amy it's so very (laughs) yeah (laughs) I would tell all versions of myself to fuck off um (laughs) So the fact that Jones, like, it it really, she listens to herself is is kind of nice. I don't know. That was kind of refreshing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, what I love about the journey that Jones goes on or, or that we go on with these different versions of Jones is when, when past Jones is like, okay, well, like what went wrong? (laughs) You know, um, our our present Jones is saying, um, I trusted the wrong person because the ones I should have trusted didn't trust me. Like, drink again. That's an Ouroboros of, like, uh, people not, right? Like, people don't trust me, so I don't trust them. And it goes around and around and around. But when Jones says, I only ever gave them missions, I didn't listen. And it's such an important moment of her sort of reflecting on her legacy, like as a leader. And it really is like a turning point that we will see later in the episode. Like, and if you think back to the show, Jones, I mean, you know, I think she's being a little bit unfair to herself, right? Like she would, like people would make pitches, right? But the way that the, like the, if you think back to all of those like war room scenes played out in the show, it would be all the other characters making pitches. The mission should be A, no, the mission should be B. Jones takes it all in and she renders the judgment and that's what they have to do, right? She didn't give people, sometimes she couldn't give people options, right? They had to choose. But I think it's interesting that she's kind of reflecting like, how did I fail as a leader? I also like that current Jones too, like called out that Jones as far as Hannah is still a lot of the reason why you're making some of the choices that you're making. And, and sometimes because of that tunnel vision or that, that mission drive there that causes you to not see the bigger picture. And, and again, that goes to listening to some of the others and stuff like that, because they also have personal stakes in this. Like you were so driven to mm-hmm. save that one person that you weren't seeing some of the the other aspects that you needed to take into account in order to to make this more successful. Right. I mean, and then, I mean, the other thing, and I think this ties with um, sort of the the bigger theme of the episode of like, we fight, we live, we live, we learn. She 
reminds us of Elliot Jones's saying the common core of human achievement is failure. And she says, like, perhaps we need to make mistakes, right? Like, and you can tell that I think this kind of informs the conversation we're going to watch in a little bit with Cole and Ramsey of Cole is a little bit like almost paralyzed by his mistakes, you know, and not knowing how to move forward. And like, we're human beings, right? Like we're going to make mistakes. And so this Jones is is very sort of philosophical and like, you know, uh, remembering sort of like what her ex-husband's advice was like, it ties what Cassie's saying too, right? Terrible things happen. And so great things can happen after it's all sort of all thematically coming from the same place, right? Like we're going to make mistakes and we can learn from them and then we can move forward. And I think Jones also being so philosophical in this moment has a lot to do with the fact that she knows her clock is ticking away. Like she knows she's Mm -hmm. dying too in this moment when she's having this conversation. So I think that adds a whole other layer to it because she knows, hey, my days are very, very numbered here. So like, this is the perspective I have to give you. Thank you for giving me hope. But but also, I can see this from a way of my time here is almost over. So it's got to be about more than just myself. And it also is about now, right? right. Like knowing knowing that your clock, which is another theme that Ramsey, you know, will pick up, kind of echo the theme of the conversation that Ramsey's point at the end of talking to Cole. If your clock is ticking and you know your days are numbered, then that gives you a kind of unique laser focus on the present. Um, which makes you, uh, like, not to repeat the word, but it makes you more present. Maybe that allows Jones to listen to people more, right? Like your mind isn't racing as much about what's going to happen next because you only have a certain amount of time. Um, and then that leads to this, like, moment of, like, the younger Jones finally getting frustrated with how sort of resigned future Jones is and saying, like, you've lost hope, borrow some of mine, shared the burden. Um, And it's just really like, I just, I love that moment. And it's kind of, I just love how it's a reversal of the chicken and egg Jennifer in season two. And it's moving in kind of a different way, like particularly like as, you know, Amy and I are sort of the 40 something year olds on the podcast, right? Like, yeah, our younger selves might have been like naive and a little idealistic, but like they probably also could give us a kick in the ass that we might need, you know, like <laughs> when you thought everything was possible. Or she would still tell me to fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> um, another sort of like, I love the, li- the line, I'm about to make your life very difficult. You always have, right? Like we do. We just make yep. our own lives really fucking difficult. <laughs> That's very um, Gen X. I mean, yeah, so Gen X. Um, we're in a very, there's been a whole Gen X thing going on Twitter. So I think we're very contemplative about the Gen X stuff. Um, even though Jones is actually a millennial, right? <laughs> God, that's crazy to think of in that way. But yes, you're right. I know. I know. Uh, I guess we would be remiss. I, we feel like we've talked it a lot, but like uh, drink because another Ouroboros, uh, there's actually two. Old um, future Jones has two ideas in that moment. And the, the first is that 
when she says them about what she means when she says them about to make your life very difficult, it's that they're going to borrow an Adam cell. And that is going to explain, go on going back all the way to season one, why they were always having such power problems and the machine was less reliable. Um, but then also she gives she gives 2040 well they're now they're both 2043 jones but past jones the idea for the tethers and writes it down in the notebook and i love that jones is basically like i've got drugs and i've got a bottle of whiskey and i will forget it all <laughs> so i have never related to jones more in that moment <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, when she wakes up, we're going to get our second fuck of the series. Both, I think uh, Jones is the only character to say fuck. Yeah, I know. It feels good when Jones says fuck. It um, does. It, it really, like, like, it speaks to me at a very deep, deep, visceral level. Yeah, it's like Christian on The Expanse. There's something about a woman in her 60s saying fuck on TV that's just, it feels really good. Because she's fucking earned yes. it. <laughs> All right, so that moves us to the final debate um, about what the mission should be. As as Jones puts it, investigate the future or attack the past. Do you guys have any sort of initial thoughts? If we just kind of like go into this scene coming out of the last one where Jones was sort of self-critiquing that she didn't listen, that is exactly what she does in this scene, right? Like, Cassie and Cole are facing each other. They're the ones debating. Jones is leaning against the wall, kind of taking it all in, letting them present their cases. And instead of in the past, what Jones had always done is like take it all in and then render the judgment as to what the mission should be. She just says, we don't have to, like, we don't have to choose. Do both. Cassie, you think the right thing is to do is to go after Olivia, go do it. Cole, you think the right thing to do is to go find Jennifer, go do it. Let's trust each other, have faith in one another. And it is a big leadership moment for her. And it sh- she's like shows that sort of the introspection that has been going on for the last two episodes. It's a real turning point for her character. So you've got... If we have sort of what the debate here is, you've got Cole saying, we can't keep doing this. We're just going around and around in circles. He has a point, right? Like they have been, they were just confronted with how this mission started with Jones's speech, kill Leland Frost and we'll solve all of our problems. And every time they've said, we're going to kill one person and then everything's going to reset, it hasn't worked. He knows from future asshole that a Cole from the future has told him that the key to everything is Jennifer um, and Jennifer's drawings. And now they know that there's like something more to it with this or with sort of, you know, drink the Ouroboros, right? Like the snake drawing. And so that's sort of his like, there's logic to what Cole's saying. Like we keep like, what's the definition of insanity, right? Is doing the same thing and over and over and expecting a different result. And he also has the benefit of a future self telling him what's important. And he's trusting in himself um, to like follow that lead. And on the other hand, what Cassie's saying is super logical. Like, yeah, it hasn't worked before because we didn't know who the actual witness was. Now we do. And we know where she's going to be. Why wouldn't we try and take her out? Like, that's the the logical component to it. And then when they push back and forth a little bit more... It, it, the emotional layer is revealed. Like, it's the woman who killed our son. Like, how could you let Olivia, in essence, like, get away with that? Like, how could you walk away from that, like, retribution? 
I think what's interesting is Jones and Cole are both looking more long-term because it's just never been as simple as getting rid of somebody. Mm-hmm. And even though like, yes, this is the witness. We have this opportunity. Like how many times have they gone back and not even like that killing somebody didn't help, but that they couldn't kill them anyway. You know, how many times have they been thwarted in that way? And there's always like more to the story. There's, they're always finding out more. So I feel like I under, I absolutely understand Cassie, you know, of being like, okay, great. This is it. Like we, now we have all the pieces, but there's also Jennifer and uh, no, there's also Cole and Jones being like, but do we have all the pieces? You know what I mean? So I, I yeah. kind of, I kind of feel like the fact that they do keep like going in the circles and every time they try to take that easy route out, it's not working. Like maybe there is a little, little bit more rationality to that than it might seem. Yeah, no, true. But what I love is like, how many times have we debated the debates on the pod? They always set up like the debates between these characters and the divides that there is logic and emotion on both sides. And you can see like just whether there's conflict and whether you're drawn to one side or the other, right? There's, there's a compelling case on both sides. It's not a bullshit argument. It's not a bullshit divide between two characters just to create drama. um, If that makes sense. Um, I love the repetition of the line, you know, past Cole, when Ramsey was worried about the tether, he had said, hey, you know, like, it's it's a one-way trip. And then when Cassie realizes that Cole isn't going to be coming with her, and Jones sets out what the stakes are, like, you don't have a tether. Like, you know, th- it could be it in many ways, right? Like, Cassie doesn't have a tether. They may not ever see each other again because of that. If, if Cassie's right and, and killing Olivia, it does reset everything. Like, she's not like then everything will be reset and Cole's a child like this is it and so this kind of sad resigned way that she says this was oh she repeats that line this was always a one-way trip to Cole it feels like that's about their relationship you know like ugh, just kind of hits you in the gut like they don't have a future um and like it's it's if they if this really was it, it's kind of a really sad way that they would say goodbye to one another, right? But there's just so much like grief and anger and there's just there's a lot there's a lot of like layers to it. Um when we go to the when we go to the room with the machine where where Cassie's gonna splinter away, one of the things that hit me is that the way everything is staged culminating with Jones saying, you and I started this together, we're going to finish this together. And given that it's like the same writer and same director for those two episodes, this scene is like a mirror image in a way of one of the final scenes of the series finale where Cassie splinters away. And then it's just Jones and Cole left alone. And then the next com- the, the next scene where they're together, Jones will remind him of this moment, like, right, like, we finished this together. And even the way they're standing um, and sort of the way it's shot with the light and Cassie turning to look at him, I got a lot of series finale feels. Um, and Drink. Really like- That's an Ouroboros. <laughs> Yes, right, Drake, right? Like, we're going to finish this together. Yes, and you will be exactly in the same place with Cassie splintering away and being the only two left. Yeah. 
Okay. So we've got the great line of Jones saying, just remember, you were a real bitch. Um, and then Cole's walking down the hallway and he walks into Ramsey pointing a gun at him, which is what the fuck after brothers? <laughs> like, what a way to run into him, right? Um, and I, I, I really love the acting for both Kirk Acevedo and Aaron Stanford. And like, Cole really looks like he's talking to a ghost. Oh my God, the grief, the grief on his face throughout oh. any time he is looking or dealing oh. with Ramsey is so like it, it, it was so striking to me rewatching it, the acting there, like that whole, like his eyes well up with tears, like it's his face. Right. It was almost like, it's just the saddest, like look, just looking at him make that face with Ramsey talking and especially in this moment, like, again, Ramsey being his conscious, almost his soul, and he's lost that. And having it, like, given back to him, especially this Ramsey, because this Ramsey is still, I, I wouldn't use the word hopeful, but he's still, like, so loving and protective of Cole in that moment. And and Cole having to do what he just did to Ramsey and then also losing his son and stuff like that. Like, it's like... Cole needs a hug right now. And then here is his brother able to like give him what he needs to go forward while he's still grieving him is like so intense. And you see it in his face. Yeah, And he knows something right. The way he like, you know, like knows something's wrong without Cole even saying anything, you know, like, I mean, this scene has so many layers to it. Um, it is so emotional for Cole to be talking about regret and self-forgiveness when he's talking to the person that is like perhaps what he carries the most guilt for, right? Like if there's anyone who has been lost that Cole wishes that could forgive him and he could forgive himself for, it's what he did, what he had to do to his brother, right? Like to save Cassie and I think it's like also like when you go back and watch this scene, I think it's a really important character moment for Cole, um, particularly when we are reminded of of the pilot Cole that thought that, you know what, I'm going to I may be a scav and I think I'm a piece of shit, but I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a reset and then I can be a good person. Right. Like that's why he set out on this whole thing. Like, you know, if you think back to that scene, like in the night room, when he's talking about what his motivation is, like, if I can just do this thing, and I can reset it all, then I can get a chance to be the better person that I should have been had it not been for the apocalypse. And the thing is, that when he was like one and done, it was never going to be that easy. That is really the story of his whole journey, right? Like his redemption the self-forgiveness that he will achieve and get that reward of a reset isn't going to be an easy one and done shoot Leland Goins and you get a reset, right? It is all of the choices and the journey that we have been on with him, all of the choices that he's had to make and all of the ones that lie before him culminating in that ultimate, like the most complete self-sacrifice of even erasing that you were existed. That's the journey of redemption. I have a Marvel. <laughs> he's he's um, Scarlett Johansson. He's Black Widow here. Like he's constantly trying to do these good deeds, trying to wipe the red from his mm -hmm. ledger, mm -hmm. so to mm -hmm. speak. And in the end, like feels like is driven to the point where his sacrifice becomes the thing that ultimately meets the goal that he wants to achieve. 
which is not only saving the world, but also saving his friends and family. Right. And that's how he saves himself, you know, like, yeah. Um, And that's the reward, like the reset and the reward from time or for whatever is going to be because of all of these deeds along the way. Um, There's some really great now that we know that when Ramsey says, so you want to make a change and it flashes to that snippet from Brothers and now we know that there will be a change and Cole will go back and pluck him from that moment, right? And get that forgiveness from the dead that they're talking about. It's just kind of an added layer of like, oh man, like I see, now I see what you were doing <laughs> with this scene. And also the music there was killing me. Like the music, particularly in that scene and then later on in the episode is just so mind-blowingly good. Yes how it fits in with there because that that really ramped up the emotion for me because the first time I watched it again I wasn't you know it didn't really hit me as but the second time going through or the third time actually going through and watching it I was just like oh wow like that music really like I'm I'm it made me cry yeah uh, yeah and also they just have such great they always had such great chemistry but obviously the like layers of emotion going on in this scene, right? Like Cole is literally, he's talking to a ghost. He's talking to his conscience. It's, ugh. Um, here's the thing I want to focus on in this conversation um, thematically, because I think it fits sort of with what Cassie has been saying in, in the recording um, about like, you know, sort of the quote that we've been talking about, about like we learn and we live, you know, but Cole has been sort of like, as we've been talking about, like a little bit paralyzed and like not knowing like what is the next right thing. And the conversation they have is one and done. When is it ever that easy? And Ramsey says, however many as it takes until what? Until your soul is saved. What if it never stops? What if all that shit we did is just that over and over? We keep trying to do the right thing the wrong way. And then Ramsey says, there's no right or wrong or good or bad. You got to do what matters in the moment. And I don't know if it's intentional or not, or it just thematically fits, but um, I don't know if you guys have ever read the short story by Tolstoy, The Three Questions, where there's this king that is trying to seek wisdom about how to be a good leader, and he goes to see a wise man, and there's a series of questions that he asks. And then ultimately, um, there's actually a really great children's book that's like a little simplified version that I read to my kids. But what Tolstoy says in that is, remember then, there's only one time that is important now. It is the most important time because because it is the only time when we have any power. The most necessary man is he with whom you are, or no man knows whether he will ever have dealings with anyone else. The most important affair is to do him good, because for that purpose alone was man sent into this life. And it, what Ramsey says is sort of like Cole is kind of like the king in three questions. He's like, how am I ever going to know what is the right thing to do in a moment? And like ultimately what the wise man says is like, you can't worry about the past and you can't worry about the future. The only thing you have control over is right now, which is ultimately like the final parting, like thematic, like theme of the show, like as we go to credits for the series finale. Um, and now when you go back and kind of rewatch all this, you see how they're kind of sowing all of those, those seeds, which is going to be like, you know, when we were all sitting on our couches with like all we have is now. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? You mean all we have is tissues <laughs> and tears? I don't remember that. 
I mean, it's one of the things thematically I take away from the show sort of in my everyday life. That whole thing that you were saying reminds me of the angel quote, if if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do, because that's all there is, what we do now, today. I fought so long for redemption, for a reward, and finally just to beat the other guy, but I never got it. Like, now all I want to do is help. Like, that, to me, kind of, that's where Cole is at now in this moment. Yes, 100%. Love that. All right, so the other thing that... um. When when Ramsey, we already kind of covered, he'll get the, when he says, you know, when Cole says, I'm trying really hard to forgive myself, I don't know if I can. And Ramsey says, stop trying, only the dead can. You got to give them a reason to forgive you. It, I'm, I don't think it's like future, that's, that's the advice future asshole gave him in 301, right? Like you're going to have to forgive yourself. And that future asshole sort of knows the culmination of all the choices Cole's going to have to make and what he's ultimately going to have to do when he gave him that advice. And there's something just really, um, like, moving about that because it's like we all beat ourselves up, right? Like, self-forgiveness is so hard. Did you guys have any thoughts about that? Well, just the fact that he's also getting that advice from Ramsey, mm. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> who he just killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Like the only the dead can give you forgiveness and he's dead. <laughs> and he's, yeah, yeah, standing in front of him and telling him that, that it's like, oh, shit. Right. And, and in a sense, it's almost like that conversation is giving him the forgiveness that he needs to move past it and, and carry on. Right. Oddly enough. Right. Yes. Even though it's kind of like asymmetrical, because obviously that Ramsey yep. doesn't know what he's saying. But, you know, to know that this is the Ramsey of the era that was his moral compass is telling him you got to put one foot in front of the other and go do the next thing. Well, it's, it's like a scene where he's telling him it's okay to let him go. Like without telling him it's, it's, you know, him letting him go. It's one of those kind of moments, which is why if this would have been the last time we ever saw Ramsey, you know, again in the series, it would have kind of fit. It, it, it didn't, it felt right to me because it, it kind of did feel like this conversation was in a roundabout way, Ramsey, like, absolving Cole of what happened and giving him both what he needs, the hope that he needs to move forward, and and the forgiveness that he needs to, to be able to move on from what he did to Ramsey. Right. And with the you're going to be okay, brother, right? Like, yeah. Oh, uh, God. Like, <laughs> God, the rest of this episode that takes place in the facility is just a feels monster um, because it's just like he turns and he knows, you know, he kids around, but he turns and he knows that Cole needs him to say that. Right. And like, yeah, he, he thinks he's saying that to the Cole that's about to begin his journey. Uh, <laughs> it's just a lot. Uh, speaking of a lot, um, we covered Whitley and Jones a lot in the last podcast, but um Oh, when when Whitley says, my job is to keep you safe. I, I just, like, I love the performance with Barbara. Like, Jones is trying so hard to be that bitch. And she just cannot. Like, not when she's with Whitley knowing what he just did for her and for everyone and for the mission. And then he says that. And it's just like, the wheels come off. And Jones is like, okay, I'm just going to, like, fucking tell you. I, <laughs> I'm grateful for everything you've done. And Whitley's face is a little, like... Like, he's moved, but is also a little bit like, 
okay. <laughs> and even though she like says that, like, which is kind of out of character for that Jones in that moment, like right. she's still like measured in that. Like she's still trying to keep it together. Like her lip is even quivering a little bit um, because uh. she knows how much Whit- Whitley gave up to protect her to follow her and protect her and then ultimately dies you know because of that like she's still keeping it together and trying to be like quote unquote bitch jones in that moment but she still breaks and is like i have to at least acknowledge like what you meant to me in some way that still makes sense that this jones would say that and again there's so much simplicity in the writing right like my job is to keep you safe, right? Like he means it in just that everyday way of like, no, I, I gotta go. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go rest. I, I gotta. There could be people in the facility, but, but there's so many layers to it. So <sighs> much. So much of the script in this episode relies on the actors. Like, like you say, there's. I mean, there are some really amazing lines which I said earlier, which I'm like, Terry, you should be just super, super, super proud of. But also, like you said, there's some simplicity there that relies completely on the actors delivering performances, the micro expressions on their faces to be able to sell what's going on because it's all filled with such double meaning because mm-hmm. the, the past people that they're talking to don't know the journey that the person opposite them have been through with them or that they're dead uh, in many cases. So it they have to play those lines with such nuance so differently that all the emotion is not in the words that they're saying, but in their faces as they're saying words that don't match what the journey that they've been on. Yeah. That is like incredible. Not just, you know, Jones in that moment, but yeah, like tip of the hat to like Amanda, Aaron and Barbara, because they had such a lot of hard work that they had to do which was their acting choices with their faces and physicality beyond just what the words were. And playing two different characters, essentially, right? I mean, right. particularly particularly for Cole and for Jones, because the Cole that is wearing the red sweatshirt from the pilot, he also carries himself differently, right? Like, and he's more joking, and he's more slouchy, and like, you know, he's like pilot Cole, he's a scav. Um, it's a one-way trip, don't worry about it, right? Like, go in hot don't need a plan yeah all he's, that. he's like really loose and, yeah. and, and stuff like that and this and our cole our present asshole is so somber and emotional and uh, it's just the i mean it's just they had to basically barbara sakow and aaron stanford were playing two different characters in this episode so and and in you know for barbara sakow she's playing opposite you know, she's doing an orphan black thing where she was playing opposite somebody else. Right. <laughs> you know, in the scene she was doing. Right, right. So that takes us to, oh, the fucking first splinter. And I, I, you guys were making fun of me because I, we, when we first got on, I was like, it made me cry this morning. Like the moment when he puts his hand over her hand and the music is, sw- it makes me weep. Um, and part of it is just the setup of, almost kind of this hallowed moment now in the story and yet we like of of what where all these characters began their journey but also where we as the audience began this journey and we know that it is soon coming to an end 
Um, and the music and the looks on Cole and Jones, when Jones is like, I just want to stay and watch this, right? It's like, we're right there with her in that moment. Like, oh my God, we've all been like, it's another, or like it's circular. We've all been there with them. Um, tell me what you guys feel about Ramsey, that Cole almost forgot the watch and Ramsey hands it to him and gives him a hug. I'm getting emotional right now (laughs) thinking about it. And, like, this is coming from, you know, how I felt about, like, Ramsey when I was, like, watching the show initially. Like, I did not really connect to it. I feel, I, I feel terrible now, like, in hindsight. Like, oh, my God, I love Ramsey so much now. And in that moment, like, and having Cole hover over and watch that oh. Ramsey and Cole have that moment and hug. And, the, again, the music that was playing, like, one of the MVPs of this entire episode is the music throughout and particularly the music for those Ramsey and Cole moments was just like making me like, so don't feel bad about crying. I wouldn't make fun of you because truth be told, fuck, I was crying too because that was, can you imagine, like, can you imagine being like Cole in that moment uh, having like, the emotional experience with your brother that you just had and then witnessing getting to witness that love. Like that was just a moment of brotherly love that he got to witness and that pure hug and being able to like witness it from the view that he's seeing it, but also at the same time kind of feel it. Yeah. Oh, right. I mean, the other thing that I love is sort of the montage of taking us it, it's it's cutting back and forth right where we're with our present characters watching but we're also watching snippets of the pilot and jones's speech from the pilot time is different uh. oh, right it's so it means uh, time is different for you now mr cole she is not your mission just a puzzle piece remember your mission everything else is secondary everyone else you see is already dead and then the camera goes to Ramsey and you think about all the people in that, all the all the different people that that statement is true and its consequences of the decisions they've made with the journey that began right now. And also like the, the realization that Jones and Cole have come to, but like particularly Jones, that the people are everything. It's faith in one another that is everything. Right? Like, that speech just, that is just, like, genius to bring that back. And now it means something totally different. I'm not one that is always a fan of the voiceover as far as, like, shifting a scene and stuff like that. Like, you got to use that really carefully. Like, that that tool in your arsenal, you got to know kind of when to use it. And in that moment, using that voiceover of repeating something from the past that Jones said, which is completely relevant to what the, to what they're going through and carrying through to the finale, was just like really a really really you know not again to like keep patting like Terry on the back here because he also directed this episode. Mm-hmm. Not only you know did he write it, but yeah, the the decision there to how that was filmed and that use of the voiceover in that moment was just like a really good decision because I don't always love a voiceover um, in those kind of moments. It depends on how it's used. But that was that particular speech and what she says in it, particularly too in this, you know, like letting Cassie do her own thing 
and and Cole not going with her. And so for her to say, like, you know, she's not the mission, like, we still have to go. That was just, she's just, a you know, this is just a puzzle piece. Remember what your mission is. And so that kind of also gives him the push that he needs to to let go. So much of this is about letting go of the past for them, letting go of some of the grief to be able to carry on and move forward. Yeah, which, I mean, because the moment of, like, true healing, and I'm, I'm going to put my big girl pants on, and I'm not going to cry. <laughs> but, <laughs> is, but you are. <laughs> ah! Is Jones's hand shaking? And then Cole kind of studies her for the second time with the, are you okay? And you see Jones's face. No, she is not okay, but she's not going to tell him. But then James, right? Not Mr. Cole, James. Promise me you'll see this to the end. And then he puts his hand over hers with like such fierceness. I promise. And it's just like, I'm going to say it. It's his grandmother. And she's dying. And she's dying and he doesn't know it. And it's this healing between them when he didn't trust her and she didn't trust him. And he will follow through to the end. And then she, when she's dying, she'll say how much that means to him. And he'll say, you're my second mother. And it's just like... Uh, Fuck it, I'm crying. Like, oh, hey, why are you making me cry? This is awful. Where's B? You gotta calm us down. Oh, yeah, like she's the person that's I- gonna calm down feelings. <laughs> yeah, don't forget she dies. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> Thank you for bringing me back down to Earth. Uh, You're welcome. Oh, man. It is... It is uh, this show just knows... What characters matter? What character relationships matter? And this is the core of, like, I, I love Casserole, right? I love Cassie and Cole. But Jones and Cole are, like, there's a reason why that, before he splinters away, takes us back to these two, right? These are the two that were the core of the mission and the story. And I just, like, I had to, I had to get it <laughs> <same>. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, I, we've got Amy on here. We've got Beep. There's no, I can only think of a few other people that love Jennifer Goins as much. Jennifer in Prague 2018, go. Go, Beep, go. <laughs> she jumps in front of a train. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's a literal leap of faith that Jones was talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, this is one of the best Jennifers, man. She's like finally... Her, I mean, she literally calls it what her id. She Jennifer is like integrating for the first time, mm-hmm. right? So it's like the outside voices are gone, and now we got to get rid of the you know the inside voice that is a um, kind of reflection of that one who is very much not kind to her, which always pisses me off. I kind of want to punch Sydney Bristow Jennifer. <laughs> she's so she's so rude to my girl. Well, but then she gives her the gr- a great pep talk that's actually coming from within her. Yes. Right. At first she is, yeah, like the mean Jennifer. At first, alias Jennifer is totally mean Jennifer. But, and uh, maybe this is just me, but as she's giving her the pep talk in the end, and I wrote this in my notes, I was like, is it me or is alias Jennifer like Deacon like and how he's, mm. how like she's talking to Jennifer, like the kiddo and giving oh. her that hope. Like there is something about the way that that Jennifer in that moment was giving her that pep talk in the end and then 
And then the funny thing, too, is like, don't forget your passport. And she immediately forgets her passport. <laughs> um, but it it reminded me it's how Deacon like yeah. kind of talks to her and gives her that same pep talk, especially her use of like kiddo and stuff like that, um, where it's very loose and but kind. Like, yeah, that's such a good point. I feel like the initial one, the initial alias Jennifer is her perception of what everybody else thinks about her. Yep, mm. absolutely. She's being spoken to the way that she's always been spoken to by outsiders. Yeah, right? that's a good point. I mean, I think the thing that is so, like, her face when she sees, like, the world is literally falling apart. She knows exactly what's going to happen. She's telling herself, yeah, things are about to go to hell. Um, sh- How sad and kind of lost she is seeing Cassie on TV, the, like, I need my friends. And, I mean, the thing that's tr- that is both – Tragic, but then ultimately empowering about this kind of turn in her story is, you know, we now know the reason why the voice, she can't hear the voices is because the primaries know that at this point, Olivia is listening. But it is so like, to think we've seen Jennifer's journey and and the burden that these voices and these visions have placed on her her whole life. And yet now, and she was just coming into her own through her, through sort of old Jennifer and her time with Ethan of trying to like harness them as she's now calling them her superpower. And right when she needs, she thinks she needs them the most, they're gone. And all she has is herself. And it's like, I love that this point of her being alone, she has to just rely on like, what is it? What does Sydney Bristow Jennifer say? Like you're brave, um, you're irrationally rational and you're impulsive, right? You have to just rely on you. And that's her telling herself that. I love that moment. Yeah. The you got you. You're brave. You got you. Like, and it's, ah. And I also love how extra in that moment, even though she gets that pep talk, that that in order to let that (laughs) internal her go, she has to, like, kill her off. Like, she has to kill her off in this super dramatic way. In the classic, in the classic reveal of the gut bullet wound, right? Right. The TV always does, like, where you're like, oh, shit, I got, you know? And the dramatic, prolonged, like, death scene where she's, like, dead. Oh, no, not quite. Don't forget your passport. And then now I'm dead. I'm dying. (laughs) Yeah, and she repeats what old Jennifer said, right? In Resurrection, I'm dying now. Yeah, I'm (laughs) dying now. Yeah. And that's the only way that she can, like, let that past voice of hers go and move on like oh i gotta kill her off i gotta do this in the most dramatic way possible right i mean before we go that i mean that takes us to the train station i want to give a shout out to varies with hair conleth hill oh Um, oh oh i totally want to give a shout out to varies with hair because conleth hill is fucking hot with good hair okay that man's (laughs) head of hair is amazing I didn't recognize him. No. Yeah. And I mean, I just want to tell him, like, listen, this is the final series of a television show that you deserved. <laughs> like, it wasn't, wasn't, I'm like so happy to see him on a final season of a television show that's actually really good. Um, I love how they play it. Um, like he seems looking back on it now, everything he's saying makes absolute sense because he is a descendant of Chorus and had a primary grandmother. And yet 
in the context of this episode seems extremely sinister. Like he's part of the army of 12, of the army of the 12 monkeys, right? Like he knows about Jennifer's voices. He knows things that he shouldn't know, but the reason why is because he's on the primary side and not the army of the 12 monkeys side. Right. Um, and that the comedy of like, where's James Cole? It's like, ah, he's about to show up. <laughs> like, I mean, here's the thing. Jennifer in the next episode will say she was only 30% sure that that was going to work <laughs> when she jumped off the platform, right? So we, I guess we're to assume that she saw the date and the time and remembered maybe that there was like significance to that from past visions and voices and fucking jumps in front of a train. Like it is the most ridiculous trust fall I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and we, I, and the way that the episode just ends with the train moving by and you fade to black, you're like, holy fuck. I think what's cool about that though is, and I don't think she's consciously making this, you know, this decision, but even though she says later she's only 30% sure like that would work, I feel like she's 100% sure that they're going to win. Like her friends are going to win. And that, you know what I mean? If this yes. is yes. her end, like yeah. that sucks, but. Well, also, this is kind of not her end. I mean, she did die, like, uh, many, many years from now. So maybe she's just feeling emboldened again. Well, I mean, I love, I mean, I love that. And we will see it again in at least two more episodes, right? The Miss Goins, you know, like, you're on foreign soil in a time of plague, right? Like, yeah, it seems pretty fucking bad. But her very kind of self-assured I am not alone. And it's like picking back up the thread of what Jones had said earlier, like, we have faith in each other. And this is like the ultimate faith, right? You've got like Cole in 2043 being like, we need to find Jennifer. I believe in Jennifer's drawings. And you've got Jennifer on a train platform in 2018, believing that, believing in her friendship with Cole and literally throwing her off in front of a speeding train because that's how much she believes that Cole is going to show up. And it's awesome. I'm just smiling so hard at that. Like, that's my favorite moment because that's one of my favorite things about the show is Cole and Jennifer's friendship. Mm -hmm. And because it's all it's it's a brother sister sort of thing. And yeah, the, for her to do that in that moment um, is not only a belief in herself, but a belief in her friendship with Cole. Like she knows, like it's a trust fall almost, like a leap of faith yeah. or a trust fall. She knows Cole is going to like, quote unquote, catch her in that moment. Do you know what's also what I, the added layer that I love about it? The Cole that's going to catch her is future Cole. Yeah. Right. Um, and she's not going to quite realize what that means. Right. And we're going to get that uh, the only the last one I'm ever going to be moment. But the Cole that's searching for Jennifer, it's Jennifer that's going to find him on the on the side of that river. Right. I love that she even asks him, though, which one are you? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like when did this happen for you? Right. I mean, if anyone, if anybody knows about past and future selves, it's Jennifer, right? <laughs> so, like, but I love that you've got this, like, you know, Cassie and Cole are going to get separated, and the next couple episodes are, like, the next episode is focusing once again on this Jennifer and Cole, like, wonderful friendship. He's searching for her. A future one is going to save her, but this, but then he's going to tell her where to find him, and then Jennifer's going to find Cole, you know, like, on a bench with a map 
and she's going to have a cheeseburger for him. And he had no idea how to find her, right? Like she found him. And I just, oh, I love their friendship so much. So it's just a great setup heading into some great uh, Cole and Jennifer friendship feels. Do you guys have anything else about this episode? Well, I just wanted to add to, because you guys talked about the response and I don't even want to discuss it. I truly don't because I can't, but I just want to bring light to the, uh, you know, like being crazy is my thing. And like, if I'm not crazy, then what am I? Like some existential stuff right there. I, okay. That's it. That's all like, I that's can all get I got. to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but then internally she tells herself, you have you. And here are all these like wonderful attributes about attributes about you, right? Like the first one being like you're brave. Um, yeah, it's really it, it is really significant in her character journey, but also in a larger sense that for the first time, this isn't a future s- version of herself. This is her inner voice telling her mm-hmm. that. You know. Yep. Uh, Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, it was my pleasure. You will be back, um, I think, along with maybe Professor Aaron to talk about the series finale. Um, We will be back in 2020 in January to talk about 45 RPM. Joe and Bubs from May We Geek Again will be joining us to break down all things Olivia. And if you guys have anything else, we'll see you soon.